Hey, Brandon here, and welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I had the pleasure of connecting with a friend of mine, Mark Mohammedpour, and we've known each other for a long time. I didn't know until probably six months ago his story, and his story is very powerful, and I brought him on the podcast to talk about it. I'll let him describe the story for you in a second, but it has everything to do with his mental and physical health and how it went south and how we've recovered from it. And he's now coaching people. So he's basically transitioned careers. He was at a high level PR executive for many years. And I think at some point just got burned out and he had changed his life for the better. And now he's coaching and training employers and organizations on how to do it in individuals, of course. But he's got a great story to tell. I can't wait for you to hear his story. You can learn more about Mark at chasingthesunpdx.com. This is one of the rare in-person interviews I've done with an outside guest. He's local, which made it easy to connect with him. But you're going to love his story. Enjoy the conversation with Mark Mohammedpour. All right. I got Mark with me. I've known you a while. A few years now, yeah. But it's only in the last year I really knew about where you had come from. You got an incredible story. So... Back in 2007, you were 350 pounds. That's right. You've dropped over 100 pounds. I'm 140 pounds by now, yeah. What happened in 2007 to make such a sudden shift and drop all that weight? How'd you do it? I was in the seventh year of my PR profession. So I have been a PR professional most of my career. And I had been promoted several times at the agency that I was at. It was called Weber Shanwick. It's one of the largest PR agencies in the world. I was working on big tech accounts. I was traveling a lot. I was going to trade shows and I was having a wonderful time, but I was not taking care of my body. I was burning out. I was not exercising. Was it due to the profession? I take complete responsibility for my actions. This has nothing to do with anything a manager said or the job or anything like You're that. You're just moving fast. I was just moving fast and I wasn't thinking about myself. Balancing. Yeah, I wasn't thinking yeah. about the balancing. I didn't think about things that I think about today as far as exercise and burning calories. And I made a completely different shift in my mindset around that. And I'm happy to talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. But it was things like walking up the stairs. I had sleep apnea. My wife at the time had to wake me up in the middle of the night because I wasn't breathing. I was feeling very negative at work. They called me Eeyore. My colleagues would call me really. Eeyore. Yeah, I don't know you as that at all. So it's I know. incredible to know where you came from. And I was a completely different person. Yeah, I was wearing clothes at the big and tall shops, sitting in a coach seat on an airplane from Portland to New York was miserable. And I think most of all, I was just very worried about my life. What really started the process was when I got engaged to my now wife, Christine, and she said yes. And I realized, okay. Now I'm not only living for myself, I'm living for her, I'm living for her family, my family, my colleagues, everybody around me. And so over the course of nine months, I lost 110 pounds. Wow. Yeah. No shakes, no pills, no diets, no staples. A lot of mindset, probably a lot of mindset, habit. A lot of habit. But it took me a long time after that, after I kept it off, to realize how it happened. And so in 2017, I wanted to learn more about it. My father had just passed away in early 2017. He grew up in Iran. He was a bodybuilder. 
when he and my mom are raising me, he wanted me to lift weights. Oh, wow. Yeah. a weight bench in my house. And I was 10. I wanted to <laughs> run around and play basketball and soccer, but he knew the importance of weightlifting. And, you know, I didn't take his advice. But when he passed, I was thinking about his legacy. I was thinking about my journey because at that point, I had been 10 years through my weight loss journey. And I was talking with some friends and a personal trainer friend of mine suggested I become a certified personal trainer, or at least learn how to go through that exercise. So I became a certified personal trainer through the American Council on Exercise. I became a certified health coach through the same organization. And by the time 2018, I was still trying to think about what do I do with this? And then it started to hit me, wait a minute, our own profession in public relations is one of the most stressful professions out there, ranked alongside surgeons, air traffic controllers, airline pilots, military police officers. And on the one hand, why are public relations professionals viewed as stressed out as some of those people? One thing is that if we perceive ourselves as stressful, we are, regardless of whether or not we deserve to or not. But the other thing is that there are a number of people in our profession, especially if you're a public information officer, if you work for Department of Transportation, you work for FEMA, you work for a hospital, you work in school district, you are dealing with some very serious issues. You have to be mentally and physically prepared to craft a message, deliver it, and have it be received and acted on by somebody or a group of people that could potentially save their life. And when I was thinking through that, I was thinking through how stressed out we are, and I was thinking about my own journey, that I need to help my own people. I need to help my peers. This has become my purpose. Because you know other people are where you were back in 2007 and yes. need to transform in right. some way. Right. Whether they need to lose a lot of weight or they are stressed out or oh, they're dealing, mental. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of what I've learned, I think, can apply to people in my profession, public relations, communications and marketing. And so my mission is to focus on the individual. I've spent my entire career helping companies meet their business objectives. I'm ready to help the professional meet their objectives. I want them to incorporate health and wellness so they can do stress grow in their career and thrive. And that's why I launched Chasing the Sun earlier this year in 2019. And it's just been a wonderful journey so far, talking yeah. to a lot of people about my journey. And I'm offering group coaching and workshops. And it's just been a wonderful ride so far. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to your story. Going back to 2007, when you realized that, you know, hey, I'm overweight, I'm unhealthy, I maybe your head's not right all these things did it just build up over time like what was your normal weight and did you just wake up one day and say wow what happened how did you come to that realization looking at the scale all the time so it was a daily thing it was a daily thing i think in my 20s i grew from 250 pounds up to 350 and i was playing video games i was ordering large pizzas and I having them pizza, delivered one of the things that I tell people that a big change that I made from before and after I made my decision was around breakfast. So you and I are sitting here, I'm drinking black coffee at a zero calorie. 12 years ago, I would go to a coffee shop and I would have a scone and a mocha. So you think of a scone, water, flour, sugar, some berries, butter, L lots of sugar, butter. lots of sugar, 500 calories, Oof. mocha. Lots, chocolate sugar probably 600 calories yeah, five 600 calories so by the time 8 a.m hit every day oh. i would have a thousand calories what is it doing for your body though like you're you get a rush and then yeah. you crash you crash and then you need more of and it and then you need more i would apply that same poor 
eating decision mm -hmm. approach throughout the rest of the day. Eat late, eat often, not realize that by making small changes, I can make a permanent change to myself. And so that's what I did. Yeah. One of the first things when I made my decision was to examine my breakfast. So I started drinking green tea. Good. Because it's usually a fat burner, right? A fat burner helps your metabolism, but it had caffeine. Because the reality is I need caffeine. From 500 to zero, my scone, I switched out to a spinach feta wrap, 290 calories. So by breakfast alone, I had cut my caloric intake by 70%. Mm -hmm. And what I tell my clients and when I talk to people about my approach to health and wellness, especially in our profession in public relations, and I think this evolves the rest of the business world, but my clients yeah, are sure. primarily in this area. There is so much that is not in our control that we need to think about what is in our control. And for me, you mean as an individual, as an individual, yeah. right, and day in and day out and all the different pressures that we have. So what is within our control? And that is our eating. It's what's what we're consuming. And being able to make that change and realizing that and going back to your original question, as far as kind of what helped spawn this, it's making little decisions and then seeing the results and having people say, Mark, you've lost a little bit of weight. That's, That's a big deal. The feedback loop is really important in this case, whether it's you seeing it or somebody noticing it. You can't buy confidence. You yeah. cannot buy people complimenting you and the feeling that you get from that. It's funny you say that. So like probably two years ago now, because I'm sedentary lifestyle, like I work in an office, I'm sitting all day. And this is why this is relevant to this audience is like a lot of these people are white collar workers are sitting behind a computer sitting all day and maybe making poor eating choices, but I wasn't feeling in shape. And I'm like, I'm just, my back's always aching. I'm just not feeling good. I was really thin and I wanted to gain some muscle. And I started exercising. And I remember that the first time I started exercising, I took like a before picture of my body and then monthly pictures and then like two years. And I'm like, I bulked up muscle wise. I don't show those pictures to anybody but myself, but that feedback loop is really important because you see the results and you're like, wow, I feel better. I look better. It was daily habits that transformed it. You fit into your clothes better. You do feel better. You sleep better. It's amazing what the decisions that we make can positively impact us. And it is not about trying to quantify the amount of weight you're trying to lose or trying to say, I'm going to fit in a particular pair of pants or a particular dress in a particular time. It's saying, I'm going to make this decision every day and I'm going to challenge myself to do that and focus on that versus a quantifiable, measurable objective. This is a big thing we talk about in PR and communications. And I think the rest of the industry, we try to think about business objectives as the smart method, right? Specific, measurable, attainable. We try to apply that to our health and wellness. It's tough because there's so many other factors, our salt intake, our water intake, the stress, sleep, menstrual cycles, all these different factors impact whether or not we can lose the weight, we can gain muscle, and I'm about what's in your control, how much water you can drink in a day. When we talk about sedentary lifestyles, how many walk and talk meetings can you host a week? When you're having brainstorms with your team, do you all have to be sitting around in a conference room? Those are good questions to ask. Yeah, those are things that I talk to my clients about all the time. And I recommend for those of you out there, your next meeting, your next engagement, does it have to be what's typical in order to meet your goal? Well, one of the things I love about like the Apple Watch is it buzzes every hour you haven't got up and so Absolutely. i'm sure people get annoyed with me walking around but like i gotta at least stand up for a minute and i'm sure i need to be walking and standing longer than just a minute for every hour but 
at least it's something. I mean, sitting there for two, three hours in a row, which I see people do all the time. That's not good. Absolutely. But here's the thing, Brandon, you as a leader in your company are setting a standard that the people around you, not only your peers, your managers, but the next generation of leaders saying, this is someone I look up to. This is someone that I aspire to being. This is what he, she, they are doing. I need to be doing that. So we talk about this a lot with new managers and executives who are trying to incorporate health and wellness. And the reality is, is that they're inspiring people and they may not even realize it. This is the first concept that I teach is that we in the PR industry, and it's the same thing in HR. I think it's the same in other areas of business. We serve others. We take care of ourselves last. Such a great point. For a good leader, you need to take care of yourself first because that will trickle down and people are watching always. And I think this is why the PR industry is probably so bad and other industries too. But it's like people are watching. They're like, oh, well, oh, that doctor's working around the clock and getting no sleep or that successful PR person is working around the clock and sleeping at their desk. I'm going to do that too. That's the way I can make it in this world. I think that's crazy. Let's set a better example. You're absolutely right. So the first thing that I ask people is to check their egos in once in a while. Instead of checking them at the door, let's boost their egos a bit. I ask people, who do you inspire? Who do you inspire? Because we all inspire somebody. There's somebody who's looking up to us. We are a hero to people. And that's not to put pressure on ourselves, but it's to help put some perspective into the fact that our habits, what we do are being seen by others. Whether we know it or not. Whether we know it or not. <laughs> And I think it's also a morale boost for us because I think confidence is really key. And it's okay to ask ourselves, who do we impact and who do we influence and why we're here in the first place? Yeah. When you look back at your former self, the time you made the transition, like you're objective now because you saw, you can look back and see what you look like and the change that you made. What would you tell yourself at that moment to go through it all over again or to even avoid going through the negative transition where you gain all the way, you're in a bad spot. What would you tell your former self? This is a very vulnerable thing that I'm going to say, but I say it a lot. And I think we all need to be vulnerable. So this is why I'm telling Going through this personal training process and the health coaching process, one of the things I've learned about is resting metabolic rate. Simply by being human beings and simply by moving and breathing and living, we're burning calories. I didn't think about my approach to health and wellness that way when I was in my teens and my 20s. I equated my health and wellness to whether or not I could do push-ups, pull-ups, run a mile, stuff like that. If I couldn't do that, I wasn't exercising. If I wasn't exercising, I wasn't contributing to my health and wellness. And if I wasn't doing that, I would say, screw it. And I could just eat whatever because there's no way I'm going to be able to achieve that. What I didn't realize until recently, even after I'd gone through my journey, is that I'm in complete control over my food intake, my drinking intake, and that is a significant aspect of not only my weight, but also how I feel as far as how I sleep and my stress level and how I engage with people and my mood. And I would go back and say, okay, even if I don't go out and exercise, exercise, quote unquote, right, which would be going on a run or a stair stepper or playing soccer or whatever. Walking. Walking. <laughs> Even if I couldn't do that, I couldn't make time. I put this in quotes because yeah. I think we call I'll make time, but we're all busy, right? We're all busy. It's all relative. We all travel and we are in hotel rooms and we're running around and all that. But ultimately, if I could go back, I would have said I can control what I'm eating 
and be very prescriptive about that. And I don't mean it in terms of I'm going to do a 14-day cleanse or I'm going to do a ketogenic diet. It's saying that I'm going to really think about what I'm eating and when and not necessarily restricting what I'm eating, but just being much more cognizant and really tracking of how I'm feeling after I'm doing that. We spend a lot of time at work. And I imagine like when you went through your transformation, you not only had to make changes like on your own time, the time that you had at home, whether it's in the morning eating breakfast and you know exercise, but throughout the day, if you're sitting around at work behind a computer or whatever it may be, there had been things that you did along the way, whether it's tiny little things, a walking meeting, drinking water throughout the day instead of soda, you know, things like that. What did you do to really make the transformation? And what do you encourage other people to do at work? Yeah. So I talked about two of my four basic concepts, basically understanding that you impact people and thinking about it in terms of tactics, what can you control drinking the water? So here are the other two to answer your question. It's about the understanding that you own your calendar and that if you don't own your calendar, not everybody does. I mean, probably for the PR. Right. But the reality is, is that we need to take better control of our calendar and, and understand and really do an audit of the meetings that we take and what we're doing with them. This is something that I ask my clients to do is to do a calendar audit. So we examine the last seven days and we look at the meetings and the times and we say, was this something of value? Was this something I needed to do? Was this done in a way that incorporated health and wellness? If not, could it have been? And so we talk about that. So that's one thing that I would definitely recommend is to look at your calendar and make time and figure out how you're going to execute that tactic. If you're going to do a walk and talk meeting, how are you going to do it? Are you going to literally tell your team, we're going to do this walk and talk meeting? I think that's great. Where are you going to go? What's the agenda going to look like? Where are you going to pivot physically? Where are you going to move around? You have to think about all those things because you want to get everything done in that amount of time. How are you going to facilitate the conversation? There's a lot that I think can be done. It takes a lot of work at the upfront, but I think that's a very powerful thing. So that's the third. The fourth is around our own personal crisis plan. We in PR, we're constantly writing crisis plans for our clients. One of the interesting misperceptions about our industry is that PR people are only there to put out fires. Well, what we are supposed to be doing is stopping them from happening in the first place. And so the HR is the typical audience for this podcast. I think HR people are very similar in nature to the PR. They're constantly dealing with crises for other people, and they're really supposed to be preventing them from Absolutely. My wife's in HR, and she and I talk about this all the time, about preparation for certain employee challenges or changes to benefits, open enrollment, all these things you have to prepare for, having payroll. I mean, so many different aspects that I think apply similar strategies, even though it's slightly different industries. But I talk to my clients and say, okay, for instance, if you say you're going to go to yoga class every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5.30 p.m., you've blocked it out in your calendar, you've talked to your manager, you're getting everything set, Let's say, Brandon, you're going to go to yoga class on Friday. I don't do yoga. Well, let's say, <laughs> I will tell you, I just went to bar class with my wife because oh, yeah. she just celebrated her 500. I heard that's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. I should give it a try. I'm open to anything, really. It's pretty amazing. Just yeah. be prepared. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> let's say you're ready to go for your 530 exercise class. You know you have to leave at 430 in order to leave, commute, change, get ready, get stretched, whatever. That you get an email just a few minutes before you're supposed to leave. Say, Brandon, we have a five o'clock call. It's a crisis. You need to be on this call. 
So what's your plan B? Mm. How are you still going to execute that tactic? You're not going to go to that 530 class. So what can you control in order to still make sure that you are making yourself and your health and wellness a priority? So we go through that. It's a lot about preparation. A lot of what I've learned and what I've applied is about preparation, expect the unexpected, and be able to have a plan. Yeah, I love that. In case of emergency. Yeah. I was reading one of your blog posts and I can't remember the title of it, but there was a subheading and a quote that I pulled that was interesting. It actually ties in nicely with what we're talking about. So it says, hi, are you actually on vacation or are you not? End quote. I think it was you. I don't know if you were getting that from somebody or you sent it to somebody, but I think this is the world what we're in is like, if you're on PTO, are you really on PTO? Everything sort of bleeds together. And when we talk about like mental health, are we ever truly disconnecting and releasing all of our BS that we have in the background? Like, so I was one who sent that message. I'll put it in context. One of the things that goes beyond in personal training, it's about exercise design and creating programs and about making sure it's safe and effective for people. In health coaching, we learn more about nutrition and stuff like that. But when it comes to our kind of career and management, I've learned a lot along the way. I've been in my industry a long time. I've seen a lot of situations where managers and teams are not necessarily communicating their availability. So right now I'm working with a professor from Washington State University on a study of PR professionals and their health and wellness. It's not done yet, but I will tell you that one of the questions we ask is, are you taking all of your PTO and sick time? And Brandon, I will tell you, it is one in five said that they are taking all their PTO and sick time. One in five. That is a big issue. I am in that. Yeah. So I am going to be writing and talking about that. But if you are going on vacation as a manager, I think you have four options on how you're communicating to your team about your availability. First of all, before you even get into that, you need to communicate what's going to happen it, before you go. Yeah, it is totally communication yeah. based. You have four options. One, you can go completely off the grid, which is a preferred option, and say, I am not available. This is my proxy. Sets the tone. That's the tone. The second is, I am going to be completely available. Assume I will be on every call. You're talking about both ends of the spectrum. Right. There. But there are people who are. They say, I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to go to Europe. And I'll I'm be monitoring emails all the time. Crazy. The third option is, I think, the worst option and the most disrespectful and what i've seen is people who go on vacation and then they kind of chime in on emails and they join calls and the team is not expecting them to chime in or be on call it shows a lack of trust in a it way. shows an extreme lack of trust and i talk to people about this a lot we're adults we're professionals if you want to go on vacation and you want to work that's your decision i don't recommend it i don't think you should but how am i going to tell people not to do that what really bothers me, though, is when they don't tell their team when they're going to be available because that shows complete trust. What I do, I still would love to be completely off the grid, but I understand in our industry that things happen. So I say, I will never check email. I will never be on a call. But if you need me, I will always answer a text. I will always pick up the phone. That's great. So that way, other people, they know that if it's truly an emergency, this is how you get a hold of me. But I'm not going to be monitoring emails. Right. The thing of trust it really impacts confidence in your team, which I think the better the confidence, the better your mental health is, the better you are going to be as a worker and as a strategist, the more you're going to grow. And then ultimately, as a leader, 
that's going to reflect positively on you. That's another thing that I had to learn throughout my career. My success was based on my team's success. It wasn't on what I achieved. It was on the people that I was managing, the project that I was managing, and what they were achieving. And because of that, I was successful. I literally had to have people tell me that. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that, <laughs> but that wasn't something I learned in school. Mm-hmm. Power of the team, yeah. I had to step away at times. And it wasn't a micromanaging To know thing. that the team's still functioning without you. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had that realization too, so I was on sabbatical all of August. And we talk about like stepping away. So on PTO, I'm terrible. I'm always connected still, and people can get a hold of me. But on the sabbatical... What I did, it was truly communication and behavior, like you wanted to change people's behavior and how they reach out to you. So I set up an out of office and it said, I'm not monitoring emails. I'm on sabbatical. I will not be responding to any of these emails. Email me after September 5th. So that way I just purged all the emails. I didn't love it. Just purged them. Deleted everything. I just spoke with somebody the (laughs) other day who they've implemented a system where if you are on PTO, you literally cannot receive an email. So they shut it down. They shut it down. It's awesome. It's liberating. It's very liberating. I was almost bored because I'm like, I'm always connected to email and whatnot. But like when I wasn't monitoring it, I'm like, wow, I have so much time. My head is clear. I'm not worried about stupid little things that have nothing to do with me because I'm not even there. It's incredible how much our society over the last five, 10 years has just become so attached to our devices, not just for professional, but for personal. And obviously we hear a lot about the digital detox and stepping away and stuff like that. I think obviously that's really, really important. I think the question is when I hear people talking about doing that, much like if you're to do a 14 day cleanse. So when people say I'm going to do a 14 day body cleanse. Yeah. Cool. First of all, don't, but the hell does that mean exactly? Well, what does that mean? (laughs) But then the other question is, what are you going to do on day 15? Yeah, yeah. Is it a sustainable habit? Is it sustainable? So, yeah. Are you even trying to build the habit? So, when people say, I'm going to go on a five day digital detox, great, love it. What are you going to do on day six? Such a great point. Can you decide on that before you start? What are you going to do on day six? I have not done a digital detox. But if I did and I would think about it, like I would also write a note and say, hey, Mark, welcome back. Okay, cool. Now, These are the rules that you're going to apply now going forward. Yeah, I love that because there's planning involved. Because digital detox, it's like you're getting rid of it for a certain amount of days. You might have withdrawals and then on day six, you're going to go crazy, right? But if you have a set interval, like I'm going to check Facebook once a day for 10 minutes or something like that, and then you're done with that. Like my kids, for example, because kids, the whole, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on kids and devices right now, but my kids, I let them have basically a free for all once a week for 45 minutes. And wow. That's basically it. Do they look forward to it? Or are they counting down the clock? They love it. Yeah, they love it during the time. But then they're like, because we have these set intervals, they're not crazy in between the time. They know when they can do it. Yeah. I think when you have these devices, the computer, the tablets, the mobile devices, all within your reach at any given time, the impulse is to just when you hear the ding, you want to pick it up immediately versus no, like, oh, no, I'm checking email three times a day at, you know, 8 a.m., 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. or whatever. And that's it versus all the time, whenever it dings. Yeah. That's what's driving us crazy, I think. It's that. And I was just thinking over the last 24 hours, the types of communications I've had with people, whether they're in the professional life or personal life, it's 
LinkedIn, it's yeah. Twitter, it's Instagram, it's oh, Facebook, yeah. it's email, it's texting. Read some this morning, it's making us depressed. Yeah. I have to do nine things in order to capture all of the communication methods that people have. That's a lot. And I don't have a great solution other than I think being proactive and setting a plan of when you're going to start and when you're going to stop and stick to it. Yeah. And I think we have to remind ourselves that, yes, we're on the service industry. We want to provide great value to our customers. But if we don't do it ourselves, I hear this a lot. I've heard this on your podcast and before putting on your own oxygen mask before others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good advice. It's taking care of yourself first and it's showing and you're living and breathing that environment. Another thing I talk to managers about is don't send emails late at night or over the weekend unless there's a specific reason and there's agreed upon reason. This happens a lot in PR, right? There's, there's crisis that happens in the agency side. You're pitching for new business. There's a lot of stuff that happens on nights and weekends. That I get. But when it's just day-to-day -day stuff, you don't need to send those emails. If you want to work at them late at night, you shouldn't, but I get it. You're an adult, but your team doesn't need to see those emails. No. And as a manager, you should not expect them to respond unless you've already agreed on that. I do not see that as often as I like, and I'm doing everything that I can to drive a discussion around ensuring that managers and executives think twice yeah. before they do that, because it's a big mental strain on all of us. We need to shut it down once in a while. Gosh, I had a colleague call me out the other day because I was up in the middle of the night. I was working on some things, sent an email, and the timestamp was like 1.15 a.m. or something like that. And I remember she, the next day, she was like, wow, you're thinking about this at this time of night? And I'm like, ah, you know, it's, there's a little judgment factor in a way. And it's like, I don't know what her perspective was, but I mean, she definitely caught it. And then it caused me to go, wow, I should not be sending emails this late. We think about things all the time. I mean, I wouldn't be so hard on yourself on thinking about stuff all the time. It's kind of what we do. It's hard to control yeah. our brains in that way. I think it's a matter of showing people that you are. As part of the survey, so this survey I talked about, I issued one last year as well, and the results show that work is impacting our sleep and our profession, whether it's multiple times a week, every night, something like that. And that's just the reality of it. And I think there's a lot of value in taking down notes. If you can't go back to sleep, if you're up, journal, write down your thoughts, get your brain focused on something, and then go back to bed. That doesn't mean sending the email, but it means writing it down. There are a lot of great thoughts that happen in the middle of the night. Sure and it's are, not beating yeah. yourself up on that. It's just, what are the optics when you're sending in the middle of the night? And nobody's perfect. As long as it's the exception and not the norm, that will help set up the people that we're managing and future leaders up for success. We've been talking a lot about empowerment of people like taking care of yourself first, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before you take care of other people. I'm curious what the role of the employer is with this conversation of whether it's mental, physical health, and work-life balance, all of these conversations to make us happier, healthier, more productive at work. How are employers starting to think about this? Like, how are they getting involved? One of the things I talk to college students a lot about in the workshops that I give is when you are applying for a position, I would recommend that they talk to the hiring manager, they talk to HR, other potential colleagues about what work is like there. And I don't necessarily mean the culture or their ping pong tables there. It is questions like I was raising about when managers communicate, how do you balance your priorities, all of these things. And so to answer your question, I think 
there needs to be a dialogue in the interview phase on the onboarding phase when they're talking about various scenarios and work situations and how managers operate in that environment so that when the employer comes in or the employee comes in they have a better sense of if there's an expectation for them to be available on nights and weekends because some jobs require it are they going to be able to work from home what does that environment look like i think there needs to be a heightened emphasis on talking about specific scenarios to help paint a picture of what the employee is going to be stepping in day to day nothing's going to be perfect i'm not saying to create a hundred scenarios but start with five to ten that really help paint the picture of what the employee would be getting into working environment team environment remote working nights and weekends those types of big pain points and then it would be up to the employer hr the hiring manager the team when they're going and talking to the employee about it the onboarding to be able to help have a dialogue so that there's an understanding it's not a contract i'm not saying that everything's set in stone but it's better than saying i'm applying for this job i'm doing these skills that's half of it you're qualified and then it's what is the environment actually like and that is i think something that we really need to factor in because the environment impacts the confidence, impacts the trust, impacts the over quality of the work, the relationship with the employee and the employer, and ultimately how successful everyone's going to be as part of the partnership. So you're really talking about like setting expectations about what the work's going to be like for an employee, but like even further along the spectrum of like once they're in the work, what responsibilities do employers have to then push or promote work-life balance and some of these things that we're talking about like how involved do they get is it at the maybe the managers are making the biggest impact and saying like hey i'm seeing that you're working your ass off maybe take a pto day or maybe go out for a walk like how involved should managers get and hr people too i think it's hard to have an umbrella answer to that because i think it depends on the company and the relationship between the manager the employee you don't want to be too hard on it, but at the same time, PTO and your sick time, that is part of your total compensation. You are getting compensated in different ways for your work. And I think it's empowering the employee to be able to say it's okay to be gone. It does start with the manager, the executive saying that they're going to be gone. They're going to be away. Do not contact me. Or you can always text me, but that's it. I used to do this, Brandon. About 10 years ago, I would send an email because when I was at Weber Shanwick, the fiscal was a January to December fiscal. So on January 3rd or whenever I would get back, I would email my team and say, this is going to be my PTO for the year. I would send that like the first week of January and say, I'm going to be gone a week of March. I'm going to be gone a couple weeks in June. I'm going to be gone a week in September. I'm going to be gone Thanksgiving week. And I would get some eye rolls. But you know what? I took all my PTO. And if I ever had to adjust, I always would do it. I would always make adjustments and figure it out from there. But I said, look, I'm going to lock this in now. And you're making a commitment to yourself. I'm making a commitment to myself. It's really good planning, not only for yourself, but the team. Exactly. Exactly. Eye rolls. We need to stop worrying about the judgment thing. That's crazy. It was a couple. And I think it was more like, wow, more than Mark. Come on. Yeah. Because no one thinks about it like that. But I realized that's how I had to do that in order to get my deserved compensation, my earned compensation. And if I didn't do that, September, October, November rolled around and you would see people with weeks of holiday or weeks of PTO. And depending on the industry, it might be very difficult to take all that in December. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's quiet times throughout the year. There's no, there's not. There are no quiet Hell times. No. no. Like we were talking about like just we're all busy. Like I hear that all the time. Oh, how are things? I'm busy. Like it's all we fill it up. Yeah. We fill up our time with whatever the hell is important at the moment. So you could say you're busy all throughout the year at any given time. I think it's an excuse. It's not an excuse. I agree. We're full. Our lives are full in July. Our lives are full in April. The lives are full in December. There's just in different ways. Yep. Yeah. It's whatever is important to us at the moment. It's like I get salespeople calling me all the time about like the latest and greatest marketing software. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't want to talk to you. And they'll be like, well, when's a good time? I'm like, never. Like, it's not important to me. A good time is when it's going to be important to you. And it's not important right now. So get the, <laughs> get the hell away. <laughs> we have to start setting boundaries for ourselves. And I think that's what I'm taking away from our conversation is really setting up boundaries, whether it's meetings, whether it's times you're checking email, whether it's when you're available, all those things. I mean, that's important. You got to protect your time. And people respect that. Yeah. People will respect that. They'll understand that. And life will go on. The sun will rise. Yeah. We're going to continue to chase I it. Love that. <laughs> love that. We're going to continue to chase the sun. And this is my mission is to help people get there. Mark, I'm really glad you came in. This is an important conversation. I mean, you talked about what you're up to. Where can people find more? You got tons of content out there. That's why I'm glad to have you on my podcast. Oh, thank you, Brandon. And we'll share the word. But where can people find read some of your stuff? I think you have your own podcast. Talk about that a little bit. I do. So my website is chasingthesunpdx.com. I'm a Portland. Yeah, that's why you're native. here live that's with why, me. I yeah, usually do them remote. Live it's in nice here, to have you here. In the global headquarters here. <laughs> Hardly. My tiny little office. Oh, it's wonderful. So chasingthesunpdx.com is my website. More information about me, my services that I offer. I offer group coaching. I'm running two parallel group coaching sessions right now with people across the country. People are independent practitioners. People work in corporate government. I'm going to start it up in January 2020 again with a whole new group of people. I'm hosting workshops. I'm literally going down south after this for a workshop, speaking at various places. I talk to students. I talk to new professionals, managers all the time. And so you can email me at mark, M-A-R-K at chasingthesunpdx.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram at markmo, M-A-R-K-M-O-H. LinkedIn, you can find me at Mark Muhammad Poor. And then my podcast is called Chasing the Sun with Mark Mo. I have like 50 episodes by now, 55. Jeez, you really pumped them out. Well, one of the things that I started as I was going through this process a couple years ago was I need to figure out my voice. And so I started my podcast. It does take a while. And so I was basically me talking into a microphone for a couple years. And then when I launched the company, I realized I needed to supplement my message with people who are not necessarily me. And so I brought in people who are new mothers, people who live with anxiety, people who have moved across the country, people who live with IBS, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. I wanna interview people who are in our industry, who are living their best life through different experiences than mine. Because I'm coming from it from my vantage point, I want to ensure that everybody else can listen to other perspectives, and I want to help lead and facilitate and drive this discussion. So, and that's at anchor.fm slash markmo, or it's on all the Apple and Spotify and everything like that. Thanks for coming by, Mark. This is a lot of fun. Keep up the good work, man. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it.